This is Andy Crestadina, author of Content Chemistry, the Illustrated Handbook for Content Marketing, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named as one of the top marketing podcasts by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. This episode is sponsored by Marketing Architects, creators of the all-inclusive TV advertising concept that's so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. I'll tell you more and how to get a free copy of the book in a few minutes. Now, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Andy Crestadina back to talk about the sixth edition of his book, Content Chemistry, the Illustrated Handbook for Content Marketing. Andy Crestadina is a co-founder and the CMO of Orbit Media Studios, an award-winning 50-person web design company in Chicago. Sweet home, Chicago. Since 2001... Orbit has completed more than 1,000 successful website projects. Andy is a top-rated speaker at national conferences, and I can speak to that. I've actually watched him give keynotes. He's awesome. And he's a writer for the biggest blogs. And over the past 20 years, Andy has provided web strategy advice to more than 1,000 businesses. And interesting facts, Andy graduated from the University of Iowa with a degree in Asian language and literature and a certificate to teach Chinese. Andy, congratulations on the sixth edition of Content Chemistry, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. I am honored to be here. Thank you for having me back. I've really been looking forward to this day for a long time. So, Douglas, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And people may not realize that actually most of your fortune comes from um, Orbit Gum, right? <laughs> That's yeah, and the and the travel company Orbits put a Z on it, and uh, I'm a travel company guy. So it, you know the things we're going to talk about from his book. If you implement those, you'll you'll be successful like that. So uh, now, uh, Andy Crestadina, you were on episode 85 of the Marketing Book Podcast way back in 2016, and this should be episode 414. Wow. So every 329 episodes, we can expect Andy to return, and I've penciled you in for episode 729, which will be December 29th, 2028. So, okay. yeah. So, you know, go ahead and put that on there. Uh, you know, it's, it's part of my goals development that I do for my for my authors, the guests. That's good. Yeah. Now, you were on more recently, about two, two and a half years ago, on the special uh, daily series, Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Mm-hmm. And that it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And uh, my family appreciated that someone else would talk to me in, instead of them. So it was sort of like a Doug daycare. And we talked about content chemistry. And I know you said, oh, I see, you know, you're going to do another one. You said, yeah, I've done a few in the past. I got to do that. And <clears throat> I guess I may have followed up a couple times. So mm-hmm. you were really kind. You, you sent me a copy of this volume six, which is a big book. We're talking 370 pages here, folks. And you wrote, Douglas, 
I told you it would happen eventually. Here it is. Thank you for all the nudges over the years. I thought of you many times while writing this. Enjoy, Andy. And of course, I read that and I thought, well, that's really nice. But then I thought, wait a minute. Maybe he was thinking bad things, like "Oh God, I can't." No, no. but but it was. Uh, but you told me that uh, you know, hey, if you update it, let me know. You know, still doing the show, and it was a bit of an incentive. And and I mean, I had lots of reasons I needed to update this book. It was just slowly becoming obsolete. But no, I thought of you all the time. Like I, I've got, I kind of committed to you at one point. I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And um, so thanks for that. You were in the back of my mind, and. Um, made it happen. Oh, well, I've just spent the last week with it, and I've really enjoyed it. This is one of the books that every uh, marketer should have on their desk, certainly all the content marketing people. And you need the printed copy. I don't know if there's even a, a Kindle version. There was a fellow, a listener in uh, Canada who was asking about the Kindle version, and I'm just thinking, no, that this nope. thing, this is eight inches by 10 inches, and it's about an inch deep, and it lays out on your desk very nicely. And I think it's a, it's really is a desk reference. Yeah, it's a pretty unsatisfying experience on an e-reader because it's there's, I think, 150 diagrams in here. It just doesn't work well no. um, on Kindle. I got uh, some of the earlier reviews from the earlier editions from Kindle readers were uh, not the best. So print only, sorry to say. Good, good, good for you. So, Andy, uh, as we record this, today in the United States is Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it means a lot to me because I was a veteran and, I'm you know, it's a sort of a family business. My dad was a veteran. His dad was a veteran. Wow. My great uncle. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was in the great war, also known as the first world war. And then my, my great grandfather was in the civil war and my great, great grandfather was in the war of 1812. Really? Yeah. Fought at the battle of new Orleans. And, uh, then my, his dad, my great, great, great grandfather fought in the American revolution and to the people listening in the United Kingdom, no hard feelings. Sorry, it didn't work out. <laughs> That's incredible history. 1812, you can trace it back. Good for you on the genealogy, and thank you for the service. My pleasure. Yeah, it was an honor to serve. But also, uh, the ancestor who fought at the Battle of New Orleans, he took a sword from a British officer, hmm. and we still have it. It's up on the wall of my home, and we're not giving it back, okay? Wow. <laughs> but uh, he later fought a duel with a guy named Sam Houston. <laughs> Sam Houston, really? Before he went off to Texas. Yeah, he was he was a wild man. But at any rate, Veterans Day, you know, means a lot to me, but you might not realize why it means so much to me, Andy. Do you have any idea how much free restaurant food is available to veterans <laughs> on this day? This is the busiest day of the year for me. I had to get up at Oh, dark 30, army early this morning to get to Starbucks for the free coffee. Then I had to go to the International House of Pancakes for their unlimited red, white, and blueberry pancakes. Good for you. And now I'm doing this, and and I only have a few minutes because I got to, it's a busy day. I've got to get to Olive Garden and Red Lobster and Hooters and (laughs) Mission Barbecue. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm really only going to have a few minutes, so I'm sorry. So we're going to have to compress 370 pages into this, but it's it's really good. And actually, Veterans Day always reminds me of uh, when I was living in New York years ago, working at Gray Advertising. Mm -hmm. I woke up one morning and I was listening to National Public Radio, and as they often do, they'll say, you know, today is so-and-so's birthday. And they said, today is Kurt Vonnegut's birthday. Hmm. And uh, he's a you know famous author, man, mm-hmm. uh, man mm-hmm. of letters in the United States. He's passed away, but he wrote Slaughterhouse-Five and, and sure. many others. 
And so I went to work, and then at lunch I went to work out a couple blocks from the agency. And you know how you you walk and you turn a corner and you start to bump into somebody, and you you move to one side, and and they move to one side, and mm-hmm. then you 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 moved both of you moved to the same side, and f- so that happened to me. And I I looked up, and it, you know like all right, wh- which way are you going to go? Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> I looked up, and it was Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. And, and I. I didn't know what to do, and I he was staring at me, and I said, "Happy birthday!" <laughs> and he laughed, and he smiled, and he turned bright. He was an older guy at the time, blushed, and then we both well went our played. That's amazing. Good job. <laughs> we both went our separate ways. I hope that made his day, but uh, that was just the funniest thing. It was just like, well, uh, well, well make sure to tell him happy birthday. <laughs> so that you knew that 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 you made the most of that. Uh, of that coin that, that yeah. is serendipity yeah of all yeah. the people he could run into um that you knew his birthday that's that, that's a great story so that's the one time i was quick on my feet so mm. <laughs> anyway this was his this was his birthday so on to the book this like i said it's 370 pages extremely detailed mm. and helpful it's also based on a lot of research and i don't believe there's any uh opinion <laughs> in here at all. It's basically what you've seen, and I'm going to talk about that. And as I mentioned before we were recording, I've actually got eight typed pages of questions, <laughs> wow. and, we, and we can't get to all of them. Okay. Um, we're only going to be able to talk about like maybe 1% of the things in the book. But um, you know, I was an English major in college, but I still had to take a year of chemistry and calculus, and I knew that one day <laughs> that year of chemistry hmm. would, would come in handy. And it's funny because in this book, the first half is the lecture, and mm-hmm. the second half of the book is the lab. So mm-hmm. I, I see what you did there, and I wanted to uh, read from uh, the beginning, but I just have to say my favorite line from the book is on page 65, where you wrote, empathy is everything in marketing. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Needless to say, your book got me really excited, Andy. And I want to read from uh, page one. Mm-hmm. Then here we go. You write, the book you are holding is the result of thousands of conversations and 22 years of collaboration. It started back on January 1st, 2000, when I quit my job as an IT recruiter and started a new career in web development and digital marketing. I've immersed myself in digital ever since. In April 2001, I co-founded a web design company, Orbit Media Studios, mm-hmm. with my great friend, Barrett Lombardo. Today, mm-hmm. Orbit is an award-winning team of 50 specialists with hundreds of happy clients and thousands of successful projects. Through all of that experience, I've tried all kinds of digital marketing tactics and techniques with both amazing success and staggering failures. (laughs) At times, I have been guided by experts, and at other times, I've had to experiment my way through things on my own. Orbit started as a scrappy little company without a real budget, so our focus has always been on organic growth. In digital marketing, that means content. This book is a compilation of the most important and effective lessons I've learned in content marketing, web design, and analytics. The simplest way to summarize all of it goes something like this. To be successful, websites must do two things. Attract visitors, trigger action from those visitors, converting them into leads and customers. To do this, web marketers must do two things. Create content and promote that content across digital marketing channels. Simple, right? (laughs) That's where the simplicity ends. 
Those few big goals and actions break down into hundreds of tactics and thousands of possible actions. For thousands of businesses, great content marketing is the difference between success and failure on the web. Once you finish this book, you'll have a solid understanding of how to grow a business through the creation and promotion of digital content. You'll know which actions lead to which outcomes. You'll know where you're going and how to get there. Beyond this, my hope is that your new insights into web marketing will motivate you to get started and stay active. I hope you find web marketing enjoyable because it's both creative and analytical. There's nothing intimidating or mysterious about it. You may discover that, yes, digital marketing is critical to modern business, but it's also a lot of fun. So, Andy, mm-hmm. talk about who this book is for. Well, this, the breakdown of the two sections, lecture and lab, uh, will be useful for different types of readers. Uh, there are marketing leaders, there's executives, the director and VP level positions who are choosing partners and creating strategies. And for them, the lecture section may help inform decisions about which strategies might work or which, which these possible partners is likely to, to drive the best outcomes. But really the entire book in its, in its whole would be, uh, is intended to reach the practitioner. So anybody who's writing email subject lines or using analytics to, to measure performance uh, will find very practical, almost prescriptive step-by-step instructions for how to get performance in really any of those channels. But it's true, like a lot of the marketing leaders sort of, um, there's a lot of low information buyers of marketing services. Mm. Uh, you have on your site, uh, which I love, you've got a, you, you wrote a gorgeous page that kind of spells this out where companies sort of yeah you know, get hooked or addicted to their partner without without really ever knowing like what's you know <laughs> there's like a lack of evidence and uh, lack of collaboration so even if you're a marketing leader even if you're maybe in, in a sales role you know to to create better alignment between teams but i think that there's um uh the way that it's structured uh will be uh hopefully enlightening for the people in marketing leadership roles, but literally a keep it on your desk guide uh, for the practitioner. Yes. It's one of those books like um, Everybody Writes or uh, The New Rules of Marketing and PR by David Norman Scott, Everybody Writes by Ann Hanley. It's just one of those books that just everyone uh, should have. And I, uh, I already know that some listeners have already bought this and uh, you know are using it. So I'm the king of you know, and listeners will know this. I'm the king of really stupid questions. Idiot. <laughs> Why is the book called Content Chemistry? Hmm. Well, there was a, a post I did. Uh, so I've done 15 years of, of uh, content marketing and publishing and trying to win the contest of generosity, which is how I think of it. <laughs> content marketing is like a contest of generosity and the person or brand that gives away the most helpful, useful, practical advice wins uh, the largest share of attention and trust and loyalty and leads and referrals. So while early on in publishing, I I came up with this idea to make like a tiny little infographic that puts all of the formats of content onto a periodic table of elements type graphic. And it just called it content chemistry. And it was my first really successful piece. It it had great reach. People loved it. It got, um, and so I, I kept it updated over time. And then, Really, the strategy for the book was partly just to try to get more value out of all these things that we published for so many years. Blogs are inherently disorganized, really. They're like reverse chronological piles of stuff that uh, tend not to, you know, 
create a great experience for someone who wants to go through it, like a curriculum, as you mentioned, I studied teaching. So, yep, I'm going to put it all together, you know, put, package it up, put a bow on it, but uh, it needs a theme um, or else it would just be maybe a little too bland. So just repurpose that, that, um, that infographic title, honestly, and uh, kept it in the book. So there still is in that section, uh, the little periodic table of content, um, which again, that needed to be updated because uh, those formats have changed, mm-hmm. but that's where the name really came from. Yeah. And for those playing the home game, it's on page 148 of volume six. I got it right here. Mm-hmm. So I want to just pull out some of the things that I either made me laugh or that I thought people might need good reminders about or that might surprise folks. So here we go. Uh, and I'm going to have to skip over some of these things. But on page 11, you write about the basic tools that are needed for for this content marketing game, you know, like a blog, an email service provider, a CRM, a customer relationship management system, analytics, uh, mm-hmm. a social presence. But on that page, you include the tip that buying an expensive marketing automation system is not step one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that a mistake you see often? I honestly think, I think it's a, it's a, <laughs> I love how you zeroed in on this because it is kind of a, uh, it's an arguable point, but uh, I. Well, on page 56, you write, marketers are notorious for overbuying technology. But go ahead, because I, when I saw that on there, it resonated with me, and I thought, oh my goodness, you, you've probably seen it a uh, hundred times over more than I have. It's true, right? It's very true. Uh, I mean, we all need a database to keep track of our, 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 our sales process and our submissions and, you know, a CRM. That's usually the center of a so-called MarTech stack. But uh, there are a lot of people who drink the Kool-Aid and think that because they want to do content marketing or digital marketing or SEO or, you know, email, that, that the first thing to do is go buy a $1,000 a month tool. <laughs> That's really? like buying a, a gym membership to get yourself in, in shape. It, exactly. You know what? You put your finger on it. The psychology is the same. People f- uh, who become interested in a thing feel like shopping is the first step to doing the thing. Or, <laughs> right. you know, I, I want to go running. Therefore, I need to go buy a lot of gear. No, you don't. You need shoes and a sidewalk. To publish, <laughs> you, <laughs> right. don't need, you don't need – yeah, so um, – I, I don't have a marketing automation system. I mean, I use a light version of one. I'm, I'm using ActiveCampaign, but uh, a million visitors a year, 900 leads a year, 7 million in revenue without ever buying and using a marketing automation system, without ever gating a piece of content, without ever using a pop-up window. Yeah. So it's, it's possible to, to drive tons of visibility and demand without, without any fancy technology. And we mentioned an email service provider. I, I can't resist. Um, page 56, you write, warning. This is about... Uh, 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 email, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, marketing automation systems all include email marketing features, but don't buy them unless you have a serious short-term plan to use their many other features as well. There are many small businesses who spend $1,000 per month for mm-hmm. HubSpot, but really should just be spending $100 per month on MailChimp. So <laughs> I, just, I really enjoyed that. I think it's uh, super relevant. So it's a similar thing with podcasting. People say, I want to start a podcast. Oh, what kind of, what kind of microphone do you have? That's the last thing you should buy. <laughs> There's a lot of other things that make a big difference. TV advertising is a powerful channel for business growth, and it's a counterintuitive solution for businesses frustrated by the rising costs of digital marketing. But 
The traditional process for launching TV campaigns is expensive, time-consuming, and complex. That's why marketing architects flipped the traditional process on its head. With all-inclusive TV advertising, they invest their own money to produce, analyze, and optimize your TV campaign. All you pay for is media, setting you up for rapid growth at a significant cost advantage. This approach to TV is so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. It's called all-inclusive TV, how booming brands are reimagining TV advertising. It explores how a variety of brands are using TV to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. For a free copy of the book, visit this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com or visit marketingarchitects.com slash book and tell them you heard about it on the Marketing Book Podcast. Andy Crestadina, let's talk about boats. Okay. Your your brother Tom has produced a very interesting book that you sent me a copy of that I really appreciate called Working Boats an inside look at 10 amazing watercraft. And of course I live here in the Norfolk Virginia area on the Atlantic Ocean and we have all of those kinds of boats here so it was super interesting for me and my my family. It's it's beautifully illustrated mm-hmm. and he's he illustrated it, right? He did. He did. Wow. It's a, the the attention to detail is insane. He spent 3 years uh, doing what it's like only 40 pages or something or less, but he is very, very passionate about both, uh, art and fishing. So you can see how those things combined. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It may, it'd make a nice gift. This, uh, episode will publish, you know, during, uh, the Christmas season. So just an idea, and I'll include a link to that on this episode's uh, website page at, at marketingbookpodcast.com. But he is not the only Crestadina who's produced a very interesting illustration of a boat. Now, okay, I think you know where I'm going here. Just to give to you, dear listeners, I just want to say... Are you guys having a killer time? Okay, just to give you a sense of how chock full this book is of helpful tips, tricks, and tactics, on page 150, you have the following tip. To turn listeners into visitors and link from podcasts to web pages and blog posts, mention a diagram, chart, or other visual during the recording. Let listeners know where to find it on the website. Okay, one of my favorite visuals. Mm-hmm. I just want you to know, I you know, I, I read your book. Okay, you did you read deeply? One of my favorite visuals that I saw you produce. I don't know. I saw it years ago. Is an image of a boat, mm-hmm. and. On this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com, I'm going to include the visual. So make sure to check it out. See mm-hmm. what I see what I did there? Well okay. Done. Thank you. Thank you. So the image of the boat has five key parts and, and just four words. Okay, listener? So try to envision this until you're able to go look it up. There's there's the boat, and there's a, a motor on the back of it with the word paid. Paid. And then there's a sail on the boat. There's very few, very few visuals here. The, the sail has the word SEO. And then there are two oars sticking off the boat. And one oar has the word email on it, email. And the other word, the other oar has the word social. Andy Crescidina, explain how they all work together. Paid, SEO, email, and social. I loved it. Yeah, it's trying to simplify that idea of uh, of traffic and the different and the nature of driving traffic. So, if uh, visibility online or you know website traffic is about moving forward here on the boat, for example, some of those things that we do are sort of activity based. Uh, they require time, they require skill, 
the, the things we do, which is like rowing a boat, right? The email and social media, those are things, those are actions we take. And when we take those actions, the boat move forward, we, we get traffic. Uh, paid is something that, requ- like the motor, right? It requires actual resources. You kind of put money into it and it can be very fast. But it's also, paid is fast and temporary. As soon as you run out of gas, you stop moving forward from the motor. So uh, that's like advertising, you know, paid social, paid search. Sales are special. Search is special. Uh, And a simple way to think of it is that every page has the chance to catch traffic like a sail catches wind. I'm not doing any email or social right now. I famously have never done any paid advertising whatsoever, but I'm getting lots of traffic even at this moment while we speak because over the years, I've created many pages that target many phrases and are well-optimized and rank high and attract visitors. So there's no limit to the number of, pay- of phrases you can target because there is no limit to the number of pages you can make on a website. We're not limited by space or time like advertisers. So uh, that idea of search when it works well and ends up kind of becoming this passive source of traffic and email and social requiring ongoing activity mm-hmm. and and paid means you got to keep putting money or putting gas in the tank. It's really just comes together in one little metaphor and one little graphic. It's very simple, but definitely go to the marketing podcast, marketing book podcast website and take a look. It's right there. Well, I'm also going to include a link to the uh, blog post on your uh, website. Hmm. So if you Google orbit ors social SEO and paid, it, it, it comes right up. I see what you did there, Kristen. Yeah, that actually, that article is optimized to rank for the phrase website traffic. Oh, okay. It's an, example, it's an example of itself. If you search for website traffic, you'll probably find it that way, the little boat diagram. Okay, great. Well, Andy, do you know the best place to hide a dead body? Uh, page two of Google. Yes! <laughs> yes! Excellent, excellent. Remind folks of the importance of getting on the first page particularly as it relates to how much like the first organic link is clicked versus the second and the third and so on. Oh, there's a lot of studies about this, but it's not a fair fight. It's the, the you know, to the victor go the spoils. Uh, it, the high-ranking pages get an exponentially greater amount of visibility and clicks. Uh, so the number one, now there's, there's a lot of factors that determine click-through rates, the click-through rates vary wildly depending on what appears in search results. But generally speaking, across these giant studies, uh, the number one ranking page might get twice as many clicks as number two. And number two might get twice as many as number three. So it's this logarithmic scale. It's this huge drop-off. And when you get to page two, it's just almost total obscurity. Like all of page two in some studies uh, gets around the same amount of traffic as the 10th position on page one. Mm-hmm. So it's dramatic. It's a big. It, there's a there's a big drop. So um, it's a uh, it's not really you know a, even a little bit better rankings in search can sometimes lead to uh, an exponentially greater amount of visibility and traffic. Yes, it's quite a competition, and it was also a great reminder in the book about how you're still competing with Google, like with mm-hmm. uh, SERPs, search engine result. Uh, what is that? Mm-hmm, SERPs? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. The search engine results page. They call them SERPs. That's what you see when you search for anything. It's SEOs call that a search engine results page or a SERP. And that's part of the book that had to be updated because that has changed a lot. Yeah. That is one of the biggest changes in digital. These days, you search for something and the search results themselves are so satisfying. You're so likely to find your answer in there. People also ask and featured snippets and these things in the, the side, that little box called the knowledge panel. So uh, it's 
the only sustainable SEO strategies now are to target phrases for which the answer is kind of long and detailed. <laughs> right. The person has to click. Yeah. No more we, is anyone ever going to get traffic from the, the 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 queries that have kind of a short or quick answer. Like how many calories are in a tablespoon of peanut butter? No one. That's a zero <laughs> click search forever from now on. That that the battle for that one's over and Google won. Uh, yes. Well, let's move on. I want to quote from uh, page 34. Again, this just really got me excited. You write, sites without content marketing are truly just online ads. They're known as brochureware websites. They don't have pages that teach, help, inspire, or entertain. They don't target the broader set of phrases. They don't attract a larger audience. Sites that do publish search-optimized educational content often attract huge audiences. The goal of the content marketer is to unlock the expert knowledge within their organization and offer it to the world, growing attention and ultimately demand. Can you dig it? So let's talk about why sites rank. And I want to Mm. quote from page 36. And as I like to joke, I'll be back in about 45 minutes to see how you're doing. No, (laughs) you're right. Why do sites rank? Answering this question is the first step in winning a steady flow of high-quality visitors. Google famously includes 200-plus search ranking factors in its algorithm. That sounds complicated, but really, there are fundamentally two reasons why a page does or does not rank. The two main search ranking factors are authority and relevance. Can you talk about authority and relevance? Yeah, this is one where, you know, if I... uh... I think as consumers and users of Google, we should all try to understand, you know, why these things appear and, and how this, you know, this program, this algorithm works in showing us these things. So really, there's two. The two main reasons are relevance, of course. You, if you ever hope to rank for something, you need a page that's about that topic. Obviously, right? That should be obvious. But uh, to go farther with that thinking, your page should be one of the top ten pages on the internet for that topic, or you really have no right to rank. So there's. Uh, SEO is really um, a kind of clarion call to do quality and depth and detail. If you did not make one of the best pages on the internet, you shouldn't rank. You have no right to rank. And, and there's, uh, you know, Google famously has 2,000 math PhDs on staff. If you made a bad page and try to get it to rank, there's 2,000 math PhDs trying to stop you. If you made a great page on the topic, there's 2,000 math PhDs <laughs> trying to help you. Yes. So that's my point about quality. But also, uh, you may notice when you search for certain phrases, only giant websites rank, only famous blogs rank, only big players are in the mix. Media sites sometimes, right, or the or big tech, huge social media networks, for example. Now, that's because authority is also a factor. Relevance is about what's on the page. Authority is about what's on other websites. Are other websites linking to you? So. This is why Google search results are so good. This, they added this other ranking factor about paying attention to sort of PR and like who's linking to who. And if a page has a lot of links to it from other sites, uh, then it has greater ranking potential and it has a chance of ranking for more competitive key phrases, more difficult to rank key phrases. The difficulty of a phrase is a function of the authority of the other pages that rank for the phrase. So it's important skill and, and something to keep in mind is that uh, if a phrase is, if the other pages that rank for a phrase are far beyond our level of authority, which you can look up with a tool, uh, then a we free should, tool, a free tool. There are, <laughs> yeah. free, there's a free tool I mentioned in the book, Moz, the Moz bar, but uh, don't target a key phrase unless your authority is in the same range as the other pages that rank for the phrase. Mm-hmm. 
if if your if those pages are much more authoritative than yours, just target a longer, more specific, maybe less popular, but also less competitive phrase. That's a key aspect of search that uh, you really have to understand, or you know, you risk kind of wasting a lot of time. Yes, and I notice you're saying pages, and that's really important for people to know. You you write in the book, Google doesn't rank websites. Mm-hmm. Websites never rank. Only web pages rank. So I can imagine somebody thinking, well, we've got a lot of authoritative information on our website. No, no, no. <laughs> it's the website page specifically. Oh, and that's why people that make pages called services, that page is not about anything in particular. You need a page per service, a page per topic, mm-hmm. a page per person. Yeah, that's a, it's a it's a revelation for people sometimes when they realize that, like, you know, there are no websites that rank, only URLs. The URL is sort of the unit of currency on the internet. So if you don't rank for something, ask yourself first, what is the best page on my website for that topic? And then second question, is that page one of the best pages on the internet for that topic? Yes, yes. So uh, talk about the importance of getting other websites, particularly uh, authoritative websites, to link to you. Well, it's a really uh, important metric, and when when your authority is higher, then you can target more competitive phrases and more popular phrases and more uh, more valuable phrases and attract more visitors and more qualified visitors. So uh, it's it's one of those numbers that stays in the back of the mind. Uh, it's one of those goals of like you know we all kind of have this back of mind PR uh, motive or sensitivity as we go about our marketing day to day. Now there's the next thing people conclude is, oh, I need to build links to my website and link building is kind of this, you know, a service that companies offer. It's weird. Douglas, it's a shady business. There's a lot of spammers in that category. I get link emails is, every day. You must get oh, them every it's hour. Awful. It's awful. And they're, again, empathy, right? They're not empathetic. They didn't warm up the conversation. I have no idea who these people are. It's spam. <laughs> they're spammers. They're mostly spammers, right? There's too many spammers in there and it gives the whole industry a bad name. But I've never bought a link or hired an S- hired a link building firm yet we have strong authority why it's because of relationships ultimately it's because of uh, having good content something worthy of being linked to original research tends to be one of the best performing formats mm-hmm. and then also just getting to know a lot of people who write stuff who make stuff who who you know who publish content who you know who are like who are on the internet you know putting out their best advice so uh, to attract links, which is a natural outcome of good marketing, uh, you need two things. You need to have content that's worthy of being linked to, but also invest in people. Take the time, you know, help others. You know, do what you're doing right now, uh, and uh, you know, it's that network ultimately uh, being uh, having awareness uh, of your content with other people who create things. Um, that is the most sustainable approach to growing your authority uh, without being a spammer. Mm. And I'm going to link to uh, <laughs> some of your pages, but that's because it's for the people that I'm creating content for. It's funny, though. I get these emails. I got one today saying, we would like to buy a link <laughs> from your oh, website. It's what just, is that? I know. Oh, my goodness. So, Well, I thought of you today. I'm writing an article about how to create a good About Us page. And I thought of you, and we'll be referencing your site because – it, it, it's a fantastic example. You're, uh, you're you're like planting a flag on your site. It's really gorgeous. Oh, how thank you. you the, the writing, and it's not a surprise because you're such a pro at this. Um, <laughs> but it's it. There's a uh, a beautiful uh, example on your site that fits perfectly in what I'm creating. 
so your um, your about us page and the agency addiction page on salesartillery.com is something that I'll be referencing later today. Oh, terrific. Well, I'm glad you found it helpful. Gosh, I was just about to update everything. <laughs> I won't change a thing. It's nice. Let me just uh, speak to the, the listeners. If they don't take anything else, I, I want to give you some advice. Let's talk about something important. There are three things you should never buy, okay? One is meth. <laughs> Two are links from someone else. And three, email addresses, right? Right. <laughs> Those are great tips. That is so quotable. I love it. I'm, I'm in 100% agreement. We could probably add to that list, but those are definitely things that we All should three of those will come back to bite you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk about the, the email addresses in, in, a, in a minute. Now, one other thing, though, so we talked about relevance and authority, uh, mm-hmm. determine how you, your page can rank. But there's a third factor that determines if you're going to keep ranking. It's how your visitors are interacting with the page. Can you talk briefly about what user signals are? Sure. It's a, if it's a mystery why someone ranks high, uh, even though they don't seem to have strong authority uh, or deep, deep relevance, uh, the reason may be that Google is paying close attention to what visitors do after they click on a search result and after they land on that page. Do they spend five quick seconds and then hit the back button? Or do they go deep and spend five long minutes before hitting the back button? The time they spend on the page that from search, that's called dwell time. And dwell time is widely considered to be a user interaction signal, a signal Google uses to try to understand the quality of the page. So this is suddenly interesting to anyone, right, who's think, interest, who thinks about you know, content and quality and engagement because it raises this question of how can I keep my visitors happy? How can I keep them on the page? And if you needed search to be another motive to do that, you shouldn't need a motive, another motive to do that. But um, yes, it can actually affect uh, your ranking. So uh, formatting, avoid long paragraphs, you know, subheads, keep them meaningful, specific, keep the scan reader flowing, visuals, creates pages that are much more likely to engage the visitor, right? Because you don't have long, blocky, scroll depths of tons of text. And video. Put a video at the top, right? Um, Upgrade the formats. Keep it scannable. uh, Get to the point quickly. And also go deep into the topic. Uh, We have lots of articles on our site with an average uh, time on page of like eight minutes. (laughs) That's a long time. Yes. These days, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the way to do that is just those those exact tips, right? Formatting, visuals, video, depth, um, and uh, if do it for your visitor, but it can also help your search. Yes. Well, people are spending a lot of time on the pages because they're good <laughs> and they're mm-hmm. helpful. But uh, let's jump ahead to something else uh, that I can remember asking you about way back in 2016. Why should you never make a testimonials page? Uh, well, <laughs> it's it's like eating a. a uh, it's it's like someone serving you a plate of garnish. It, it's sort of it's not it's not the meat. It's it's sort of strange to see them all at once, put all separate uh, and, and a different URL. Fundamentally, you can prove it to yourself. Go look at your Google if you have one. Go look at your Google Analytics and you, and see if that's a, one of your top pages. Uh, it's unlikely that it is unless you have very few pages. You're going to need to scroll down to see where it is. Yeah, it's it's probably going to be the least trafficked. So many examples Part. of this where it's like the 30th most popular page. So the reason is people don't click on that because it's obviously a bunch of happy news. Nothing wrong with that. But if you want people to see this, uh, you know, put billboards on highways. 
put testimonials on popular pages. Put them at the top of pages. Put them on your on the pages where uh, they get a lot of traffic. Put them next to the the assertion that you want to support. Right? Web pages are combinations of things the visitor came to see and things that you wanted them to see while they're there. You know, answers and evidence. Your visitor has information needs. That's why they came to the page. They want to confirm or you know qualify or disqualify you as an option or learn the tips in this article. Now, when they when they read that that information, if you support it with evidence, well, you solved a big marketing problem. Right? Don't make pages that are just piles of unsupported marketing claims. A lot of web pages are literally piles of unsupported marketing claims. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Count the number of unsupported claims you made on a page, and you've got a good clue into like you know how to better use a testimonial. So yes, they should. Um, the recommendation is to whether or not you have a separate page about testimonials, but make every page on your site a testimonials page, or add some form of evidence. Support your claim with evidence, testimonials, case studies, data, years in business, certifications, awards. There's lots of types of evidence that you can add to a page, but um, you know it's a uh, put. Just go look at your navigation summaries, your top pages report. If your website were a, a city, there'd be a highway flowing through it. You should know what the top path is through your website, and then you can put your most compelling messages in that flow so that a greater percentage of your visitors will see them. Yes, every page should be a testimonials page, but you're wasting your time by setting up a page just with testimonials. So I want to jump to what I thought was one of the most interesting concepts, and I don't remember if this was in a previous edition I read or if maybe I just missed it, but it's what they didn't tell you about content marketing on page 123. I want to quote from this. Keep on blogging, and eventually, you'll create a river of leads. They'll flow in all day, every day. You'll rank, convert, and create demand just as long as you keep blogging. I sound like an agency person, don't I? (laughs) That's what they say. Blog enough, and you'll eventually win. That idea, blog and grow rich, fails because it misses the key connection between content and traffic. Here's the myth. Visitors click from blog posts to service pages and then become leads. Explain what's going on here. It comes down to the true story in the life of your visitor. What is their intent? What, what happened in that zero moment of truth for them and brought them to the site? If they landed on a blog post, they almost certainly had information intent. This is one of the three main types of intent. We call them know, do, and go. Mm-hmm. Information intent is a no type of intent, right? They just want an answer. Right, they're there because you know they want to know. Uh, you know, they, they want to find out what the best practices are for lead generation, or you know, how to write an email subject line. They're doing it themselves, right? Or they were just curious about something. So the odds that that person who lands on that page then suddenly needs your services, very low. It's very low. Just check analytics. Make a segment in analytics to see the conversion rate for people who start on a blog post compared to the conversion rate from someone who starts on a sales page, right? Who came to a page because they're both problem and solution aware, right? They know they need something. They, they don't want to try to do it themselves anymore. That conversion rate is much higher. In fact, I've seen on many accounts, and I've got a screenshot in the book, 50 times higher conversion rate for people who start on a service page. So yes, there are many powerful and indirect benefits from content marketing. Uh, and you're not going to have any links to your website, right? Like we said, your site is just a brochure. You're not going to have any email subscribers or social followers if all you have is sales pages, right? Content programs give you access to, to your audience 
earlier in their decision process. But if you, but don't expect those visitors who land on a blog post to magically need your services in that moment. It's, it's pretty rare. The reason's obvious. It's about intent. So you write, this is what many B2B companies don't understand about content marketing. It's part of a broader lead generation strategy that takes into account domain authority. If you understand search, the benefits of blogging are very powerful, indirect, but powerful. So by building up the domain authority of your website through, let's say, the informational blog posts, it actually helps to raise the visibility of your service pages? It does. You will never have a, uh, you'll never rank high for a very valuable service query keyword, unless you have sufficient domain authority. You will never have high domain authority without links to your website. You will never have links to your website without a content program. It's just not likely to happen. Uh, I'll give you an example on a little website called salesartillery.com. Oh, no. <laughs> the top linked to pages are all the content marketing. The homepage, of course, is an exception. But there are literally uh, 112,000 links to your website, Douglas. Wow. I haven't been and, paying attention. <laughs> and and, the, and uh, all except for the homepage, all of the top linked to pages are articles. Yeah. Our shows, mm-hmm. our, our, uh, th- this podcast has driven clearly tens of thousands of links to your website. So you would not have that, that authority. You would not have that ranking potential, and you would not have the, the, the same ranking and visibility on your sales pages if you did not have this podcast, the content program. So yeah, online brochures tend not to rank for anything much. And the reason is uh, authority, which comes from links, which comes from link-worthy content, so it's it's a mechanic of of digital that is not discussed often. Yes, that's why I wanted to talk about it. I haven't. Yeah, it wasn't top of mind for me. It makes a lot of sense, but I can imagine a lot of companies would be thinking, "Well, how come they're not going to our blog and then wiring us money?" <laughs> that would be a nice call to action. Yeah. Hey, welcome to this tip about you know how to how to how to clean your your fireplace or whatever the random top engine if you want to buy, like like a giant tip jar kind of. Yeah, button. just. Please do that. Yeah. So anyway, but you mentioned on page 158, although it's unlikely the visitors who will find your blog will become a lead or buy a product, they are still incredibly valuable Mm -hmm. to your business. Well, let's go to the lab section and let me ask you a few questions. Mm -hmm. Explain what you mean when you write, the road to relevance is long, but it starts with this simple first step. You declare your mission. Hmm. It's from Joe. Joe Polizzi, mutual friend. You know him well. Yeah. He came from the world of publishing and custom publishing and publishers um, stay on track with their audience and narrow down their, their topical focus by writing out their the publishing mission statement. He brought that into our world uh, by changing it to content marketing mission statement. And it's almost like step zero. Like, I don't know how to do anything until you've done this because it declares three things, the target audience, the topics, and the benefit of the topics to the audience. So your con- it's this simple. Your, con- does w- your content is where uh, audience X gets information Y for benefit Z. Uh, you've mentioned this on your show on other uh, episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a conversation with Joe, maybe. But uh, if you do that well, um, not only does it sharpen your focus and defend you from random ideas from you know inside your organization, but it can be repurposed into a call to action 
to subscribe. Your email sign-up call to action to subscribe. So the top of our blog, there's a it's very clear why you'd subscribe because you want practical tips for content marketing, <laughs> analytics, and web design. It's in huge letters. Yeah. It, it, the, the worst ones are email sign-up submit. Email sign-up submit or like stay up to date. Like it's so vague. So Well, some people are into submission, but that's a separate podcast. Yeah. That would be <laughs> right. If that's your thing, you know, the, the, the submit button's perfect. You know, your show actually is a great example, again, of um, a content strategy that's specific. You know, the name of the show tells the vis- tells the potential listener what it's about. That's the problem actually all throughout digital is just copywriting, headlines, uh, title tags, uh, stock images. There's just things are just too vague. So one way to get more specific, which will improve your email sign up conversion rates and stay on track with your content, is to do- document that little mission statement first. It has a a strong correlation with success, and there's data behind that. Mm. The mission statement declares three things, what you'll be publishing, who it's for, and why they'll care. You go on to write, documenting your mission statement is surprisingly simple, yet most content marketers haven't done it. Why Why do you think that is? Uh, ready, fire, aim? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. It, it. I think that what a lot of marketers do is get excited about a channel. And they say, we need to do video or... TikTok is big. We're missing out. Let's do TikTok. And so they really start with the format or with the channel. And then they start to kind of back in or by default sort of pick some topics to go with that channel. You know, this is not in the book, but it's new thinking. I, I, I want to write about this and tell me what, if this makes sense to so you. So this is a marketing book podcast extra you're about to share? This is a marketing book podcast extra. Okay. Listen up, people. <laughs> tell me if you agree with this statement. It tries to summarize a lot. Our Each of our audiences have information needs, but format preferences, Mm -hmm. right? You don't wake up in the morning and say, I need a white paper on any topic at all. Any white paper will do. You wake up in the morning with a specific question or need or problem. And if you can get that problem solved with a white paper or a video or an article or an infographic, that's great. You know, but, but really, uh, that difference is maybe important to understand, you know, don't start with the format of the channel, start with the topic. The mission statement doesn't necessarily specify all the formats. Um, Amanda Todorovich, who built the content program at Cleveland Clinic, uh, she doesn't have a team for video and a team for, for TikTok. She has a team for cardiology and a team for diabetes. And each of those teams is totally focused on a topic. It's a, it, it's a kind of an insight, right? That really we need to stay focused on the information needs of our audience. And once we're deep in those needs, you know, we'll try things, experiment, test using different, different channels and different formats. So I think that's one of the reasons why people don't document a mission statement is because they're, they're coming at it backwards. They're starting with, you know, YouTube or Facebook. Or the email team. All they do is the, the email. email. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the, the, the strat, the mission statement really helps uh, with uh, the one problem you describe on page 140, which again, I loved. The road to success is lined with burning wrecks of marketing campaigns that targeted the wrong audience, <laughs> created the wrong content, or built relevance in an irrelevant social network. Can you dig it? <laughs> So let's go uh, to section five three. That's a, that's the audience. They're uh, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. audience participation. Yeah, yeah. They're a very passionate group. Marketing book podcast listeners. In addition to being some of the most attractive people you'll ever see. <laughs> so let's go to uh, f- 
Section 5.3 is on content formats and funnel stages. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to go into all of them, but the different stages are, as you outline in all these uh, pages here, awareness, interest, consideration, and action, which is a, I think a lot of people are probably familiar with that. Mm -hmm. But I want to ask you a question about the bottom of the funnel, or as I just mentioned, action, Mm -hmm. specifically sales enablement content. Mm -hmm. Uh, Looking at page one. 46 here. You're right. When prospects all tend to ask the same questions, put your best answers into detailed articles with visuals and then show the visuals during sales calls and share them in an email follow-up afterwards. That's the basic idea behind sales enablement content, support the sales process. Can you talk more about how this approach helps create really good sales and marketing alignment, which is a big problem for companies. Oh, I I love this. And I love that you brought it up because it's a way for any brand, zero social media followers, tiny email list, no domain authority, can get tons of value from content immediately. It's yes. one of the very few shortcuts. Yeah, right? Because- Don't um, even wait for the search engines. Let your sales team use it. Yeah, yeah there's, because you're they're having calls now. So if you're a salesperson and you, you've got a call later today, you're, you're going to have that call. Uh, d- it, would any of your answers be better supported with an article that goes into more depth, adds visuals, maybe has some quotes from some influencers that, that, that your audience trusts? Uh, or if you're the marketer, uh, you're going to publish a piece of content. You know, Is that really going to drive results uh, that are aligned with business objectives? Or is it more about just likes and comments and shares and page views? What I love about sales-focused content is that page views don't matter. The, the the quantity of visitors don't matter. Likes and comments make no difference. All that matters is that that helped a salesperson uh, build trust with a prospect because they used it in the sales process. They sent it to the prospect as a follow-up or Marcus Sheridan actually trains this in a way where he asks his prospects to read the articles before the call. Yes, assignment selling. Assignment selling. It's fascinating, mm-hmm. right? It's like, Oh, great. Yeah, looking forward to the call. Please read this before we jump on. It'll save time. Let me add to that, Andy. What they do is they'll say, like at the pool company, they'll say, you know, before we come out to give you an estimate, we need, we're going to send you this little guide on what Mm -hmm. you need to know about buying a a fiberglass pool. Mm -hmm. And we're going to include a little video we made about, you know, kind of the process. Mm -hmm. And they say, now we're going to call you back the day before the appointment. And if you haven't had a chance to read the booklet and watch the video, that's not a problem but we will need to reschedule. (laughs) I love that. And I think he said only like four or five people over the years have ever complained. And then they close at like 79, 80% on that first visit. Yeah. Yeah. It works. I don't know how how, um, nerdy he gets about it. His instincts are fantastic. And he is, he's a, I mean, the sales lion was his original personal brand. So he's, got perfect sales marketing alignment. But let me just off the top of my head rattle off some ways in which that that can be powerful. You've got a visitor. They can see other pages on your site, right? They can they, they may end up on your service pages and read another couple testimonials so that builds trust. They can share that with other people because if the person, you know, the um, uh, content is portable and it's not limited to one person like a like a sales call. They can share it with other decision makers. Mm-hmm. That that's powerful. They can convert while they're there, and if they had enough trust, they could follow or or uh, subscribe. Uh, they might advocate for that if they loved it that much. They might email it to someone else that you know it might generate more referrals. It leads to all good things, and it has nothing to do with search rankings. You know, you can 
leave the boat at the dock. <laughs> you don't need the boat. <laughs> Speaking of boats, yeah. Speaking of boats, yeah. You don't need the. Uh, you know, it's not about website traffic, and I love it in that way because it's um, it's something anybody can do. It's perfectly within reach. It forces you to get to know your audience very well. It forces you to collaborate on teams, and uh, and it's a way to drive results from content marketing, even if you're you know, today is the first day you're doing it. Yes. I would start with the content that the sales team could use today mm-hmm. before I started in with all the other uh, more top of the funnel things. Mm-hmm. I want to jump all the way to page 214, a similar topic uh, and quote, content marketers in business to business industries have special opportunities in content marketing. It's a surefire way to get value from your content. It's so efficient we call it zero waste marketing. <laughs> Andy, tell us about zero waste marketing. Oh, How can you go wrong with a name like that? You are picking some of the best parts of this book out. I, I love that you've got that in there. So if you think of uh, one of the great outcomes of marketing is that it's an opportunity to collaborate and collaboration leads to an improved network, leads to relationships. As I said, that can lead to link attraction and like, and uh, all good things, right? All good things come from relationships it's, um, and, and people are at the center of every success. So one of the things that happens with um, uh, the opportunity of creating content, and I did this this morning, reach out to people who are relevant to the topic and ask them to help. Would you like to contribute a quote? Very rare for anyone to decline to be interviewed for, or contribute a quote to something because you're a press hit to them, right? You, you're a publisher, and and um, and and the people love to share their share their thoughts. So, uh, if you strategically use that to uh, to reach out to cold leads, uh, future prospects, uh, influencers that you'd like to collaborate with later, or members of the uh, journalists that you'd hope to feature you one day, mm-hmm. uh, you can use. It's a bit of a pretext. I don't mean to be at all underhanded about this, but uh, you can use your content as a networking tool to connect with people that maybe just you'd love to meet. Mm-hmm. So uh, you get you get value before it's even live. You get value just from the act of creating the content. Yeah, there was a book on the show a few years ago by James Carberry from the B2B Growth Show, and his book was hmm. called Content-Based Networking. And like, he's, like you just said, you know, you're, you're completely above board, but you start interviewing people who might well, they could become clients, but they also might be the people that you should know or that you can network with. It really works well. I met James that exact way. He and I were both included in a roundup. I knew that he had that podcast. So I reached out, I, I said hello in LinkedIn, you know, hey, we were both featured in this roundup. And then I extended the conversation. We kept ch- talking on LinkedIn, ended up uh, hosting a show for him for about a year. Like it led to just amazing opportunities. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was great. I want to jump just a couple pages over because whenever I see an author say something like, I always get this question, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, my, my ears perk up. You write on page 217, about once a month, someone says to me, Andy, we don't need marketing. We get all of our leads from referrals. So, <laughs> Andy, let's say that's how they get all their leads. How can content marketing help them even more. Yeah. Isn't that a strange objection? It's like the paradigm of scarcity. It's like assuming a zero sum game. Uh, if <laughs> you you get, you know, I, I'm glad that you have a viable business and a successful sales strategy and a pipeline of leads. I don't recommend changing any of that. If you're considering content marketing, it's, it's additive. It's, it would be an addition to that. Uh-huh. Uh, it may actually you, you can get more referrals. You can get more referrals. Yeah, this is not a. <laughs> it, have you heard that before? Do you ever meet people like that? 
Oh, yeah, they say, uh, well, the other thing that always uh, just uh, tickles me, as they say down south, is when people associate marketing with promotion only. In other words, mm-hmm. they, they'll, they'll, I'll meet a company and they'll say, we've grown our business for 30 years and we didn't do any marketing. And I'll say, really, how do you price your products? And do you guys spend a lot of time developing the product? And how do you distribute it? Okay, well, that's, that's all marketing too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they go, oh, Oh, we just haven't paid for any ads. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. That's. It, I think that's the. Um, that's an important shift for people too, is when they realize that there's two kinds of marketing: advertising and content marketing, or two types of promotion, really. Mm-hmm. So that's in that moment, you know, a lot of us kind of, and that was Anne's book way back in the day, you know, that kind of opened a lot of our eyes. Anne Handley. Oh, um, content rules. Content rules. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, the the, the classic. Um, but that's a. Uh, uh, we all say that here and there, you know, advertising is temporary content is forever. Um, you know, ad- ads are fast, uh, but, but, uh, uh, fast and, and temporary, but content is slow, but durable. Um, every article I've ever written is still live. Um, you know, and these, these things continue to drive value. Right. And advertising works well, all these things work well, but they don't work well for everything. But I will mm-hmm. say this, uh, if you're advertising, let's say you're, um, well, advertising anywhere, the more content you have is going to help your advertising mm-hmm. <laughs> once they sure. once they come to your site. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, anyway, this is turning into a support group. <laughs> so, there's a couple of big other big things I wanted to talk to you about before we uh, before we wrap up. You've been really generous with your time, and I want to quote all the way from page 251. So, of course, I told everyone it's 370 pages, so they can kind of sense. The progress here. It's like a little audio progress bar, if you will. (laughs) This is uh, page 251. Before the stroke of midnight tonight, the publish button will be clicked more than 2 million times, and millions of new blog posts will go live. That is a lot of content. But research shows that most of this content will not achieve any real business results, or at least not get any traction in social media or search rankings. Andy Crestadina, why? Publishing something does not really move any needles at all. You change the internet, a tiny corner of the internet, but if you ask yourself, you know, how would someone find this? It's uh, a tree falling in the forest. It is, yeah. So so that's that next line there is like, it's not the best content that wins, it's the best promoted content that wins. And some people are mystified. It's like, you know, I keep, seeing this guy pop up in my streams and he's really not that smart. And I, you know, I know way more than he does. I hear that a lot. Yeah. About yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, uh, what frustrates experts who see that other non-experts or less, lesser experts are getting greater visibility. Uh, those people are experts at something else. They're experts at promoting their content. They're experts at getting their ideas out into the world yes. and they understand the channels search and social and email are paid and you know they understand collaboration with influencers they understand you know how to um uh you know get the attention of a journalist so it's it's sort of like um like at the intro you mentioned i studied mandarin and i got a teaching certificate to be a teacher you need to know both of those two things you need to know the subject matter and you need to have teaching skills (laughs) curriculum development you know and like pedagogy so it's a um uh it's not just about uh making something great, but it's about making that great and findable or uh, making it discovered, you know, making it visible to other people, getting into the streams. So uh, that is, 
a really, really important point. I'm not sure that's why they call it content marketing is because we create content and then we market it. But ultimately, uh, if you know the the you will never read the greatest blog posts because they were poorly promoted you'll never hear the greatest songs because they never got <laughs> they were never recorded um it's uh it's sort of the nature of content that we only the only things that become visible to us are the things that um were promoted well let's talk about something important i want to quote from page 252 as a general rule you should spend twice as much time and energy promoting content as you spend creating it and, you know, there was a book on the show a while back by a guy you know, uh, Chad Pollitt. It was called mm-hmm. The Content Promotion Manifesto, mm-hmm. an entire book, which is free, actually. it's uh, You can download it. I'll, I'll include a link to that. Uh, see the little trick I learned here? I'll include a link to it at Marketing Book Podcast. Good, good, but, yes. but this this whole section of your book is over 60 pages, all about the importance of promotion. That Just the fact that it's a big section of the book is this, is yet another signal of how important promoting uh, your content is. Your content promotion section outlines how to use email marketing and social media, including video, search optimization, off-site SEO, outreach, guest blogging, all these different ways of promoting your content. Don't create the content unless you're going to be willing to promote it. And mm-hmm. another part of that is what you call account Based content marketing. And I want to quote from page 304 and ask you to talk a little bit more about this. You write, content marketing is slow. It takes a long time to build up an audience. It attracts a lot of unqualified visitors and leads. A lot of people filling out your forms aren't who you want to sell to. These are all valid criticisms, but there is a way to use content to target very specific accounts quickly and accurately. It's called account-based marketing. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit more about using content for account-based marketing? Yeah, it's it's another uh, beautiful example of where sales and marketing are in perfect alignment, where all the marketing activities become much more efficient, uh, and where page views and shares and likes and open rates don't really matter at all. Because uh, if you make something for a specific audience and share it with them directly, then 100% of the people in that group that you're reaching out to is qualified. So you don't need big numbers. So here's how we, we've approached it. And there's a playbook for this in the book. Yes. And this is where you have the whole section about the webinar that you all did. Mm-hmm. You walked us yeah. through the whole step-by-step, every bit of this, folks, <laughs> just so you know. Yeah. I, without getting bogged down in the details, uh, it is so effective that we continue to do that. We will probably never stop doing that. Uh, and it's fun. It's fun because uh, you know you end up uh, presenting a little bit of research on a webinar, and there's even if there's like twelve attendees, that's great. It's the right twelve. It. It's yeah, the right twelve. Yeah, I'd rather have twelve of my you know qualified registrants than uh, two hundred and fifty you know randoms from around the world. <laughs> I don't, nothing against them, mm-hmm. but uh, it is. Yeah, I'm. So, I can uh, hear you talking about me. So go ahead. <laughs> it's the. It, I don't know who said this first. You might know, but it's it's uh it's the difference between fishing with a net and fishing with a spear. Yes, yeah, nautical yeah nautical metaphors. Yeah, and you mentioned that in the book, and uh, I appreciated that. And it was actually there was another book on the show a while back. Of course, I say that all the time. By uh, Aaron Ross, who wrote uh, he was a co-author with Mary Lou Tyler of Predictable Revenue, mm. and he also wrote another book. Uh, with Jason Lemkin called "From Impossible to Inevitable," and it was basically what hyper growth companies do the seven things that all these hyper-growth companies do. And in the book, they talk about generating leads. And they said, you know, 
the, the hyper growth companies have three types of leads and they are attained with a net <laughs> and a spear. And the third one they talked about was a seed. Oh, yes. Which is their analogy for what we talked about earlier about referrals. Basically, seeds uh, are everyone that knows you, mm. your, your network, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the um, fishing with a spear actually makes your net fishing more effective. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, you never know. And, and really, there's no, there's no metrics or analytics for some of the most important things, right? Like referrals and word of mouth. Um, but you never know who you're interacting with. Uh, in the end, uh, I I think that we need to make sure that the stuff we're doing to make those you know those seeds grow and to you know to both the net the spear everything is to do something that is memorable that is maybe maybe just by exceeding the expectations of quality there is a ton of stuff out there so if you if we all just focus on making things that exceed the visitor's expectations for quality or utility or depth or detail or 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 brevity, just something that's that, that's just um, uh, more accessible, uh, than, or or more useful. Yeah, that's the key. You know, you talked about how it's fun, and I think part of the reason is because the people attending liked it. They found it helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it helped them uh, in their jobs and got them pointed in the right direction. So it's all around uh, win. So. Let's jump to the uh, next to last section on page 315. There's a, a chapter called Inspiration, Topics, and Processes. I think there's only eight chapters in the whole book. And you write, brilliance isn't always forthcoming. So for those moments when it isn't, here are 38 questions to get the content flowing. Your answers to these questions will lead to lists, stories, lessons, strong opinions, and a steady stream of articles. And to make sure that your writing gets read, we've added ideas for driving traffic for each question. Remember, we must always create content with promotion in mind. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not going to go through all 38 of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are just solid gold. I'll tell you what, number four was uh, one, another great example was, what question should people ask you but don't? Mm-hmm. What a trust-building piece of content that you could produce there. But I wanted to jump to the 38th one. Back mm-hmm. to all those uh, CEOs and salespeople who uh, think, yeah, this is nice marketing stuff, but I got to sell something. I hear you. I hear you, folks. Number 38 is, what are your prospects and customers asking you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about this. Let's see here. You talk about how if if your company has sales and customer service teams, go talk to them. Find out what people are asking about in sales meetings or and on service calls. What are the top questions they're being asked? What does every prospect need to know before they hire us? And this gets me to one of my hobby horses, my, my, mm-hmm. my favorite soapbox, because on that same page, page 328, you write, the best content marketers work closely with sales teams. They ride shotgun to meetings. They jump into sales calls. They listen for questions and answers, then publish accordingly. What you know? There was another um, idea that came to mind in in this section, where you, you try to instill in an organization this idea of you know if you're answering these questions repeatedly, all of that sh- should probably turn into content because people are asking it online. And I can't remember if it was this book or another one where 
because I've, I've encouraged uh, in, in the past clients where like if a salesperson is on board with this idea mm-hmm. to make their job easier, salespeople mm-hmm. like to make their jobs easier. Mm-hmm. Sure. A great way to, to pitch your, your uh, what you're doing, marketers. And you have like a separate email address, which could be like, uh, I don't know, content at yourdomain.com. Mm-hmm. So whenever they're answering a question for the fourth or 40th time during the day, set up an email address <laughs> And oh, that that's brilliant. They sure they can blind copy and it goes to the marketing people. So they can start to see, geez, we're answering all these questions. We better get some content about that. It's a great tip. It's better than my tip, which is to um when they're at lunch, go go steal the salesperson's laptop and look at their sent mail folder to find which <laughs> questions they're answering. Either way, it's gold. Yes. It's gold because it's uh those are the articles that are uh bottom of funnel. Those are the, or sometimes you'll just get stuff that um, uh, should go not in an article, but certainly on the sales page. A great way to think about a, a high performing sales page is that it emulates a conversation with your top rep. Yes. So anyone listening to this, if you're if you have a, a call that people ask you that prospects ask because of a hope or a fear or there, you know, you, you realize that there's an objection that needs to be addressed, and you can put that on a service page. This is a million examples. Hey, can I cancel my contract? Of course, cancel any time. Did you read the contract? You're not locked in. The marketer needs to know that to put the answer to that question, yes. cancel any time, on the sales page. So uh, yeah, you can do it with articles, you can do it with sales pages, but it's that very, very first thing you, you mentioned, which is empathy. And and uh, it's something we've come back to many times through this conversation, which is about bottom of funnel focus. Uh, I'm starting to think like this is sprinkled throughout the book. Maybe I should just combine them. The, all of these things we discussed into like a uh, like a, a different format. But yes, it is so valuable to know what the audience's objections are, and then just go write that sentence. Use use even if write a sentence with this grammatical grammatical form even if, and you are almost certainly address, uh, handling an objection. That's how to convert a greater percentage and close a deal. Yes, absolutely. Well, listen, there's just one other big thing I want to ask you about from the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to quote from uh, page 329. The well is deep. There are so many possible topics and formats for content. By now, you should have plenty of ideas and a full publishing calendar. Helpful how-tos, graphical guides, roundups, and rants. But there is one type of content that stands above them all. Andy Crestadina, what is it? It's original research. Mm. Original research. If you it, 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 just think of it this way, or ask yourself: Is your site the primary source for any information? If the answer to that question is yes, you are in a different category on the internet. You are differentiated. Uh, you've got a statistic. You've got something maybe pressworthy. It just puts you. I mean, it, it's one way to know this very common question: How do I rise above the noise? Do what no one else in your category is doing. Publish the answer to that question with data. Uh, and I, I, I list some examples, but highly recommended. Uh, we touched on it earlier when we talked about attracting links from other websites. You want something worthy of being linked to? Mm-hmm. It's, it's that data point, that soundbite, that new piece of information that you discovered through original research. Yes, you quoted Steve Rayson, the co-founder of BuzzSumo. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are two types of content that consistently perform well strong opinion, and original research. But people should understand, this doesn't mean you have to call up a, a research company. Mm-mm. No, there's like uh, experiments, observation analysis, aggregating mm-hmm. existing research. Mm-hmm. 
uh, online survey, phone survey. Talk about the research that you do every year, this uh, invaluable uh, blogger research. Oh, year nine. It's a, it's about a, so just to, uh, you know, highlight the objection to doing research right from the jump. It takes us more than a hundred hours every year to do this. So it's an investment of time, but the results are off the charts. Mm -hmm. Every year we ask a thousand bloggers and that's very hard to do because I have to do a lot of individual one-to-one outreach, just reaching out to people. And But you uh, reach out to knuckleheads like me, and I'm able to help maybe get one or two to respond. So please don't stop asking me to help. Influencers like yourself make a difference because you, uh, w- when, you when you share, that, that leads to responses. But in the end, the, the idea is to, through a survey, answer questions that are otherwise unanswerable, like how long does it take to write a blog post or... Uh, you know, how long is your typical blog post? So we end up publishing these this data every year. And because it's been done every year for nine years, I can show the trend over time. Uh, there are uh, literally that single URL, we keep repurposing it year over year, thousands of websites have linked to that one URL. It gets picked up in major publications randomly, organically, without any outreach all the time. It's just, it's a... It's an example of how, without spending really any money out of pocket, yeah, there's lots of, you know, there's design involved. Well, there's, there's time, outreach, yeah. There's time, lots mm-hmm. of time. But uh, the, you, you just, I'm not sure if you can buy that kind of outcome. I mean, there's no amount of, I don't know another way to do it, but it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's a way to, uh, you know, reaching out to, to other people to get a quote from that. They get excited by that. I get to shine a spotlight on some lesser-known marketers that I think should be more well-known by inviting them to to contribute quotes. Um, and then they, you know, those those visuals, they get repurposed all the time. They go into presentations, they go into other articles, they appear in other people's presentations. They're obviously in the book, so it's a it is an all-powerful format for content that I highly recommend. If anyone has the the chance to do it, the format is this: What is the frequently asserted but rarely supported thing in your field. Um, publish mm-hmm. that, and uh, and you'll have found a missing statistic. Publish the missing stat, and you'll sort of win the internet for the day. Mm. Yes, and I, I I'm gonna li- I'm gonna link to it as well on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And I see you've you quoted people on here that have actually been past guests, like Jay Acunzo and Paul Ratzer sure. and Mark Schaefer, the king. Mm-hmm. The of the King. marketing book podcast. <laughs> I love that guy. Yeah. He's my he's my true north. Uh, yeah. And uh also uh, you mentioned Joe Polizzi earlier. He's a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Five Timers Club. Mm. Just, you know, again back to goals for for Andy Crestadina. Just to say when you are a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Five Timers Club, for the rest of his life he's going to be paying less at Taco Bell. <laughs> at any Cleveland area Taco Bell because of the the coupons that he gets from being on the, the marketing book podcast. So, Andy, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Oh, uh, it's that for it was the first thing you said. Uh, it's marketing is a is a test of empathy. Um, it, we have to know our audience's information needs and also, of course, their channel preferences. Uh, and it's really in the end a contest to see who can be the most generous. So, get that great advice out of your head and onto the internet, uh, share that thought-provoking opinion, or go publish a new piece of data. Start there and do it with a plan to promote, kind of wrapping it all together into one sort of bigger idea. But 
content works. It's slow, but uh, stay in there. And um, one thing I'll, I'll say, you you highlighted it beautifully throughout the conversation was the the alignment with sales. Let's let's drive the bottom line. Set all vanity metrics aside. What are we doing this for anyway? It's to create demand, drive some revenue, and and um, be successful in our jobs. Can you dig it? What is one thing a listener could do today, Andy, to put in action one of the ideas from your book, uh, just to get them started until the hard copy arrives? Publish the top answer that prospects are asking you. Yes. Ugh. That is such great advice. You know, I've done workshops like this and you start to, people start to realize, you know, what's funny is when I've done this sort of thing. And actually you mentioned Marcus earlier, I've had training from him over the years about how to do these kinds of uh, Mm -hmm. workshops where you, you know, I'm not saying it's like a dentist, but you're trying to extract the questions from the people and they start Mm -hmm. to realize, oh, you mean just answer their questions? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and they start to get they start to get excited, and so that is such uh, great advice. And one of the pushbacks you'll hear at the beginning of a workshop like that is where they'll say, "Yeah, but everybody knows that." No, they don't. No, they <laughs> your don't. customers are not stupid. They're just not informed about what you happen to be selling right now. Yeah, yeah, uh. and, and even if some of them know it, they'll just scan right past it. But they'll be glad to know that you know it. Yeah, so, yeah, and uh, anyway. We, you got me all fired up here. So let me ask you one final question. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or maybe looking forward to reading? Oh, I've got uh, Prove It. I've got Melanie's book on my desk. Oh. Melanie Dietzel's book. Yep. Right next to me. I think you're ahead of me. You've got, you've, uh, you've already talked to Melanie. Yeah. I published her interview. She wrote that book with uh, Phil M. Jones, mm-hmm. uh, a sales expert. Great book. Her books are so interesting. And also um, her other book was The Content Fuel Framework. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just just phenomenal books. Great uh, uh, adjuncts to uh, to this book and some of the others that I mentioned. So one last time, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, including the, the boat picture, uh, mm-hmm. Tom Crestedina's book, all the other books that have been mentioned, and I'll link to the interviews that have been on. I'm going to link to your site. Specifically, I'm going to link to your speaking page, the, the page all about you, because there's some great videos there. Uh, to your LinkedIn profile, to your Twitter account. On Twitter, he's Crestadina. He was the first Crestadina to get there to Twitter. So <laughs> there aren't many of us. So now a word to you, dear listener. Please, please reach out in some way to Andy and congratulate him on this sixth edition. Thank him for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. Send him a message on LinkedIn, Twitter. Go to his website and sign up. And, and, and actually, if they sign up for the newsletter on your site, they'll get notified when the blogger survey comes out. Is that usually in the summer? Yep. Okay. Uh, we do it uh, late summer, early fall. Yeah, please do that. And also, guests on the show have told me how much they enjoy hearing from Marketing Book Podcast listeners. And like I said before, not just because Marketing Book Podcast listeners are so ridiculously good looking. And if you are listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the episode's website link. Final quote, page 367. So there you have it. You should now have a good understanding of how websites succeed through traffic and conversions. You should also know how content helps achieve these goals. Hopefully by now, you're excited to start mixing things up in the lab. You're ready to experiment with key phrases, discover new connections, and concoct a big batch 
of relevant articles. <laughs> yes, it's a lot of work. There is no secret formula. Content marketing isn't about just one thing. It's about 100 little things. And it's about doing them well and doing them consistently. It may take time to find the style that gets a reaction from your audience. You'll need to keep at it if you're expecting big results. Persistence is the biggest factor in success, not just in web marketing, but in every field. The book is Content Chemistry, the Illustrated Handbook for Content Marketing, 6th edition. The author is Andy Crestadina. Andy, thank you so much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. It was an honor. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Douglas, and uh, happy Veterans Day. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Marketing Architects, creators of the all-inclusive TV advertising concept that's so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. For a free copy of the book, All-Inclusive TV, How Booming Brands Are Reimagining TV Advertising, visit this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com or visit marketingarchitects.com slash book and tell them you heard about it on the Marketing Book Podcast. And if you're one of the legions of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast stuff. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world, and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the late, great Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. <laughs>